A little over 200 years ago, um, in 1821, Great Britain was easily considered one of the most powerful nations in all of Europe. I think it probably could be argued as one of the most powerful nations on the planet and the entire world. And uh, around that time, King George IV um, was about to be crowned um, as king. And so being the most powerful nation in Europe, um, he wanted to make a big spectacle of this. He wanted to make a, a major display of this. And so he went all out. He pulled out all the stops. Many say it was one of the most expensive coronations in the history of the world. And he spent months himself with others designing costumes for those who would parade before him and those who would parade behind him. Um, His outfit that he would wear for his coronation ceremony um, was so elaborate that the robe itself um, was said to cost the equivalent of a million dollars today. It was 27 feet long, and it took eight people to carry it behind him. And to top it off, literally, um, he rejected the coronation crown that was the traditional crown, and he thought it was time since they were rising in prominence and he um, was rising in prominence, it was time to commission uh, a new crown. And so he had one made that consisted of over 12,000 diamonds. And, you know, I could go on and on, and you can go and read the history of, of kings, but you get the point, right? Uh, this, is what, this is what kings do. This is kind of what we expect them to do. Uh, this is what royalty does. Each one tries to outdo uh, the last one. They put their power on display through this lavish ceremony. And thousands of people gather and they watch, and usually as we watch these types of coronation events that what we're thinking is like, what is it? What would it be like uh, to be the king? Um, What would it be like to be in in that spot? Like, what would I do? What would I wear? What type of crown? How many diamonds would would I commission? Because with this, this type of power, if you have this kind of power, what we automatically as humans assume is that we assume that there's going to be this kind of opulence that goes with it. And yet on this day, what we, what we find and what we just heard and what we just read is the coronation of, of Jesus, the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's not wearing a crown of diamonds, he's wearing a crown of thorns. His garments are put on him in jest, and then they're stripped off of him, and not too long later, they're divided up among the soldiers who had been guarding him. He, as you know, doesn't ascend uh, a throne, to sit on a throne, but he is hung upon a cross, and he's hung upon a cross outside of the city gates. This was a type of Roman execution that was, it wasn't just meant to kill, it was more than that, it was meant to humiliate. Um, It was meant to, to snuff a person's very existence from our memory and from history. Uh, It was meant to squash them like a bug. And so you think a dead man, naked, hanging on a tree, is not exactly what most people think of when they think of a king, right? Years later, the Apostle Paul understood how radical and how bizarre and how foolish the cross seemed to be, how ugly and how stupid it appeared 
when he said, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. You see, the cross is it's scandalous. It's stupidity at its highest for those who are perishing. It makes no sense whatsoever. It seems ridiculous, but to us who are being saved, it is everything. It is the power of God. And the question is why, and now we could spend weeks talking about that, and I've just got a couple minutes, why? Um, Even as we think about that passage that was just read and, and the one that was read earlier, why is the power and the mercy and the justice and the grace of God displayed on a cross of all places? I want to think about just one particular instance in that passage that we heard. And I want to think about as Pilate presents Jesus to this crowd, he presents him as the king. Here's your king, the king of the Jews. And he does this, as we're told, during the time of of Passover, which is significant. And the words he uses when he presents Jesus to the crowd is he says, first of all, behold the man. And then a little later he says, behold your king. And I have to think that those of us us who are paying attention, um, who've maybe read the Gospels, and those who were there in the crowd who had seen and witnessed Jesus' ministry, couldn't help but think about the very beginning of his ministry. When those words were proclaimed, behold the man, behold the king, I'm sure that many would have thought We've heard words like this before in relation to Jesus when John the Baptist proclaimed his ministry. Behold, what did he say? The Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the question is, why a lamb? Why a lamb? Now, again, for those of us who know the scriptures and who've studied them, um, those who were certainly there that day and who had spent much time uh, in the scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, um, that the idea of the Messiah being a lamb shouldn't have been a new thing, right? It should have made actually perfect sense, and maybe for some of them, even at that time, it began to fall into place because woven all throughout scripture is this theme of the sacrificial lamb. I mean, you think about Abraham and Isaac. You think about Abraham who longed uh, for a son and God promised him a son. And that son, as he's growing up, God tells him, um, now it's time to sacrifice your son. And and Abraham is like, what in the world? And yet he does. and, And as he goes, Isaac says to his father, where is the lamb? And you remember Abraham said, God will provide one. Not knowing the depth of that answer. You see it in the actual Passover when God delivers his people out of slavery in Exodus 12 that they take a spotless lamb and they they take its blood and they smear it around their doorposts so that that angel of death will pass by their house when it sees the blood. You think about when the tabernacle is, is being constructed and and we've, we've looked at this, if you've been with us through Hebrews, I mean, we've talked about this in depth as God comes and symbolically dwells among his people. How do we enter into his presence? Well, what we find is that lambs need to be sacrificed in the morning and in the evening. And we even heard it in the passage read earlier in Isaiah 
53, this famous passage that our king, our Messiah is coming and he comes as a suffering servant. He comes as one from whom men hid their faces. They didn't didn't look at Jesus with awe and wonder at the opulence that he put on display because of his power, but instead his power allowed him to be led like a lamb to slaughter, is what Isaiah tells us. You see, even the Son of Man, as he, as Jesus tells us in his own words, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why? Because the wages of the sin that we confessed just a moment ago, the wages of the sin that you thought about when we pause for reflection, the wages of the sin that none of us want to reveal to the person sitting next to us and that we're ashamed to admit the wages of our sin is death before a holy God because he is just. And for our king to set us free from the wages of our sin, he had to stand in our place and take those wages to take death upon himself. And that's exactly what this day is all about. We don't need to rush past it. That we need to think about this king who hung upon a cross. I have a friend who a number of years ago was planting a church in New England and he was trying to find ways in which to connect to to people in his community and he was he's a musician as well and so he got involved in a, a group of people who were meeting on Tuesday nights and they were um, learning together something that's called sacred harp music. Um, it's also called shape note music. And what this is, I'm not a musician and I don't understand this that well, but it was basically in the 1800s, it was a way to help people sing hymns together um, who couldn't read music. And so for some reason, uh, sacred heart music in this little area of New England had become kind of popular, maybe in a hip, ironic way. I'm not sure. But there were, he, he said there were many people who would show up on Tuesday nights to come and sing these old Christian hymns that were just full of rich theology. And he said as he got to know the people there, there wasn't one person he met that he thought would probably consider themselves to be a Christian. Uh, that they weren't there because of the, the content of the hymns. They were there because of the type of singing that they were doing. And, and so he kept going and he kept meeting people um, in this group. And one lady um, that he met, they, they got to know each other pretty well. And they began to talk from week to week and stick around after class. And, and she had told him a little bit about her life. And she, one of the first things that she told about herself is that she was a pagan. And those were her words. Um, that she was a pagan and she actually worshipped a particular goddess. And she told him a little bit about this particular goddess and why she worshipped her. And then she asked him, what are you? What do you do? Who are you? And he's like, I'm a Christian pastor. And she looked at him like he was an alien. And she was like, I've never met one of those before. And they continued to chat on Tuesday nights, and they continued to get to know one another for about a year. And then one day, she called him out of the blue, and she asked if they could meet. Can we go and grab coffee? And he said she sounded a little bit urgent, and so he said, sure, let's, uh, let's go grab coffee. And she said she needed to talk. And so when they got there, he said, what is it? What, what, what do you need to talk about? And she said, well, 
My friends are all worried about me because I can't stop thinking and talking about Jesus. And I figured you were a Christian pastor, so maybe I should meet with you and maybe I should talk to you. And he asked, why was it that she kept thinking about Jesus? And she said, well, a couple of weeks ago I was on a retreat um, and I was with, with others who worship this same goddess. I'm not making this up. And she said that this particular goddess is very demanding and she demands sacrifices. And they were sacrificing a lamb. And she said that at that moment, as she's watching the sacrifice of this lamb, she said that all of these songs that they had been singing on Tuesday nights began rushing back into her head. And she, she had this moment where she thought, Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And she, said she, she, and she asked him, she said, is this why Jesus is different? Because he doesn't demand a sacrifice, that he is the sacrifice. And of course, my friend was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and maybe you're here today because deep down, there's something in you that thinks, I, listen, I know I'm a sinner. You don't have to convince me of that. There's guilt all over my life. There's shame all over my life. Maybe the people around me don't know it that well. Maybe they would be even surprised to hear me say it. But I know I'm a sinner. But I think that maybe if I come here and maybe if I show up, that maybe the God of the universe who is holy, 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 maybe he'll overlook some of those things and he'll see what I'm doing here today as something that makes up for that, something that makes it better. And maybe you think that the, maybe the reason kind of in, in, inside, deep down inside of us is that we think Jesus is demanding this of me. And maybe if I meet that demand to such a degree, then maybe he'll offer me forgiveness. Maybe coming here is a type of penance that you hope will appease him. Maybe the good will outweigh the bad. Friends, listen. Jesus, when he hung on that cross the one who is Lord of all, the King of all kings, went to a cross for those who call upon his name for forgiveness. And on that cross, as he took his last breath, he declared the words, it's finished. Christ, our Passover, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And we gather here on this Friday And we declare that it is good because our king is that humble and that powerful and that loving and that obedient that he lays down his life on his own accord. No one takes it from him. He does it out of love for any who call upon his name. He himself bore our sins, Peter said, in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and we might live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Friends, this is the ultimate day of atonement. Because of Jesus, our sin and our guilt may be dealt with fully, and it may be dealt with finally. And maybe you showed up today because you're curious about that. And Jesus says to you this morning, he says this afternoon, come to me. 
You who are weary, you who are tired of your sin, you are sick of trying to be a better person that you just can't seem to be, come to me and lay it at the cross. And not only will I give you rest, but I will take all of your guilt and all of your shame and all of your sin upon myself. And I will take it into the grave where it is fully and completely punished and obliterated. And what I will give you in in the place of that is my perfect and spotless righteousness. So that even right now, that those of us, as even as we read in the assurance of, of pardon just a few minutes ago, that those of us who, who trust in Jesus, who call upon his name, we are freed from guilt and shame. We are freed from the burden of sin. The Father looks at us even now and declares that we are just and we are righteous. But more than that, we can stream into the throne room of the one who sits enthroned above the heavens and the earth. And at his right hand is his son, Jesus, who has made perfect sacrifice for our sins. And we can come into his presence, washed in the blood of the lamb and clothed in the righteousness that only Jesus can offer to us. For those of us here this afternoon who know that, who believe that, we have every reason to hope, to look forward to Sunday, the day of resurrection. For those of us here this afternoon who are asking, who are wondering, that sounds too good to be true. Call out upon his name. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it's hard for us to comprehend that with such power would also come such love and humility and such selflessness. Father, because that's not in our nature. That does not come natural to us, but it is your your character. And Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who endured that cross and despised the shame and for the joy that was set before him, he did that. And we thank you, Father, that what that means is the joy that was set before him is us. Father, this morning, this afternoon, help us um, to believe in it to rest in it, to be transformed by the forgiveness that Jesus has offered to us. Father, for those who have not yet tasted of it, Father, may today be the day that they drink deeply of the grace that is being offered even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.